Guys ready to go? Lord, we love you tonight. We bless you. Thank you for your goodness. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and understanding heart. In Jesus' name. Everyone agreed by saying? Amen. Hallelujah. All right. We are in Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Verse 3. Verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and, okay, chosen, one, two, holy, three, without blame. There are nine of these. And they have a purpose. And what is the purpose? The purpose is First John 3. That if you and I receive these nine sonship gifts, then... 1 John 3, 20 and 21 becomes reality on the inside of us. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. All right, now back up to verse 19. And by this, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure, persuade, our heart before him. The purpose of these sonship gifts, it persuades our heart that we have been blood-bought free from blame, shame, and guilt. It persuades our heart. And so, in effect, what it does, it tills the soil of the human spirit and it allows us then to germinate the spiritual seed, which is God's Word. So, if I take the prophetic Word of the Lord, for example, like we talked about this morning, out of Revelation chapter 11, and if I read verse 3, I will give power to my two witnesses. They will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Verse 6, these have power to shut heaven. Now, shut heaven. What does shut heaven mean? This is an agrarian society. Shut heaven means no water. means the economy. You, you have the power to shut off those who are funding evil. Shut heaven. Close down the resources of. Or you can uh, pray and salt a business. And all of a sudden, the angels of God go to work and it shuts down that business. Uh, same is true of churches. The same is true of, I mean, all of us, <laughs> you have any idea how dangerous a group of people who are walking in this anointing are? I mean, if somebody doesn't repent, you have power to shut down their income. Now, if that won't persuade somebody to repent, I don't know what will. Oh, people are going to love you. How much do they love you? So much. They're going to hate you for this. Now, the good news is, the good news is that when you give your life to Christ, there is a covenantal promise that Christ walked in that is available to us. 
It's a door in the Spirit. I mean, the first time the Lord showed it to me, He showed me a door in the Spirit. And it was a door, a door that you and I could choose to walk through. I mean, it ended up in that book called Mark Men. There's a door. When, when you choose to lay down your life for Christ, Lord, I give you my life. I'll lay it down any way you want me to lay it down. Okay, so then you start to prove that through the years. So I laid down the airline career. And then um, about uh, seven years in, God speaks to me and he says, seven years after I was ordained and just started in the ministry, Abraham was the father of all them that believe. He didn't know any of that stuff you're preaching. Oh, great. What does that mean? There's no cross in what you're preaching. The, the principles of faith are fine, but you are enabling people to serve themselves you're teaching them how to use their faith to fill their bank account to get whatever they want. You're not, there's no cross in it. That's why it sells so well. You want to know why you got 350 people coming to your Bible study? Because they love what you're preaching because there's no cross in it. I said, really? Just start preaching a cross and see what happens. Uh, 350 people come to the Bible study. I started preaching the cross, Pasadena, California. I remember it well. God is my witness. I was there. I experienced every day of it. That 350 people went down to 30 in 90 days. Volumes. You know why the rapture is... Popular, it sells well, there's no cross in it. I'm out of here, man. I escape. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Sounds great. Too bad it's not exactly right. No cross. Hey, there's a reason why God gave me purifying the altar. I learned it the hard way. Hallelujah. And then I had to watch while this other guy, Jim, good old Jim, Jim comes in, he starts Sunday morning, and then all my people end up at Jim's. And then Jim's wife leaves him. And, you know, I spend all this time mad at Jim. It's not his fault. He's just doing what God called him to do. The, my problem's God. Because God is applying the cross to my life, and I didn't appreciate it. It wasn't fun having being a toast of the town one minute, having the uh, fastest-growing ministry in Southern California, and TBN stars are calling me and one Roger McDuff and all these guys. Hey, can we come uh, minister at your group? Now, it was fun when I was in that category. Now, it didn't help that God waited to have my one and only appearance on TBN after I started preaching the cross. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> oh, yeah, and the rest is history. So, you know, not everybody can get blackballed by the leading Christian network in America, but I did. And, man, just a few years ago, our, our church uh, 
we were trying to buy a building, and we'd made an offer, and they said, nah, him hot around and said no. And then this, <laughs> the, uh, one of the, the, uh, uh, hosts for the flagship show, PTL, Price of Lord, decided he wanted to start a church, and he called up the same people, Benny Hinn's brother, who owned the church, and said, hey, you know, and uh, he, Henry, he said, uh, not Henry, uh, the other one. Anyway, he said, he said, uh, you know what, there's another church trying to, to buy it, uh, but they don't have quite enough. Maybe before you decide you want the church, you ought to call them and see, because you're going to take a couple of years to build up a congregation. Uh, maybe you ought to call that pastor and see if they'll rent it from you on Sunday morning. You guys, you're probably going to want to start on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, 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 that's exactly what we had in mind. So he calls up the pastor of the church I'm going to, and they've got me listed as a prophetic advisor. And so I'm sort of the senior guy around. There's a bunch of vineyard kids. And so Janie and I kind of became part of that church plant. They, you know, sort of pulled us into to uh, ministry. And then they, without even asking, they just put us on, <laughs> wrote our names down for, for advisors, you know. Yeah. And so the pastor calls me up and he says, what did you do to TBN? And I said, well, what do you mean, what did I do to TBN? And he said, I got a call from so-and-so who hosts PTL. And, and, uh, and he's thinking about buying a church. And he wanted to know if we'd be willing to rent it from him for a couple of years. I told him we would. The price was right, of course. And he said, I only have one hesitation. There's a guy named Al Houghton that you got listed. What is he doing at your church? Now, we're talking 20 years after my single appearance, <laughs> preaching the cross, who offends everybody, and I'm still blackballed at TBN to this day. Now, how many of you know that's making an impression? One appearance makes an impression, and all I said was the one-liner that did it. Listen, I'm telling you, it's wonderful to have ADD. Especially when you're prophetic because it's out there and you can, you didn't, what? Was that offensive? Somebody got offended by that? I can't believe it. <laughs> How did that happen to you? <laughs> if we applied the same standard that God did in uh, Acts chapter 5, the, we, we wouldn't have Ananias and Sapphira's coming out of the pew. Nobody in the pew would have to be concerned. They'd all come out of the pulpit. Because we only pick rich businessmen and make them elders so that we can guarantee our income stream. And we manipulate people for money. Jerry Bernard was hosting in those days. I'd been ministering in his church, and we had some success in some meetings. So Jerry asked me... (laughs) I know he regretted it right afterwards. There's no doubt about it. Twenty plus years later, I was still blackballed at TBN. Now I want to tell you something, guys. You know, whether very the how 
did our relationship start in this church. Andy paid my way out here and gave me a ticket and said, you need to go preach in this church. I said, really? He said, yeah. And he said, I think I know what you need to preach. And I said, what's that? He said, purifying the altar. Now, Andy knew stuff I didn't. Within 60 days of preaching purifying the altar in this house, the lid came off. And everything that was going on in secret, I mean, a whole town knew it. All right, so you and I have the same skin in this game. Hello? We know this side of the cross. I mean, I'm not talking to you about something you don't know or haven't experienced or haven't walked through or haven't paid the price of. But there's something in this uh, one of these sonship, number three of these sonship gifts is is called blamelessness. Amos is the Greek word, and it's the word that is used for the single sacrificial lamb that had to be selected, inspected, and go through this uh, about sixty day period of inspection and making sure it was absolutely perfect. That means no blame, no shame, no spot, no wrinkle, nothing. Absolutely nothing. And in this gift, you are declared blameless, just like Christ. No blame, no guilt, no judgment, nothing against you. Zero against you. That's what this word means. Now, what kind of soil does it take to germinate a word like Revelation 11:6? And they have power over water to turn them to blood, to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. What kind of soil does it take to germinate a promise like that where you actually believe that you qualify for it? Because if you don't, if you don't think you qualify for it right now, then you and I have to go back to ground level zero and we have to start taking this word and sow it as seed in our spiritual heart. And, and the re- whole reason why we're going through these sonship gifts is because the very same thing that they produced in a serial murderer, they will produce in you and I. So why don't we just cut to the chase And let's look at serial murderer, Paul the Apostle. Let's look at what he did, why he did it, because the Bible tells us. And what happened to him when he got saved. And then read his testimony, because his testimony is our testimony. Now, if it's not yet our testimony... Then you and I got some farming to do, and the farming we're going to do, gardening. How about that? That better? Gardening. We got some gardening to do, and you got to garden your own spirit. You got to plant it. If you want a blameless crop, you plant blameless seed. And there are only seven of them in the New Testament. Seven times Amomas appears in the New Testament. I'm going to give you all seven tonight. 
Now, if, if you, if we have an enemy, he's called the accuser of the brethren. How does he work? He goes after places of blame, shame, or guilt. And he continually brings that before you and tries to keep it fresh. We still have people today that wrestle with stuff that happened 30, 40 years ago. That ought not be. Uh, We need to overcome that. And there's a simple way. We know how the kingdom works. It's seed. You go to sleep, you get up, you don't know how, but suddenly there's a harvest. And it comes, and when the harvest comes, you put the sickle in. That's Mark 4. The mystery of the kingdom. So or so is the word. How many times have we heard that prayer? We know that principle. This isn't rocket science. This is gardening 101. It takes work to garden. It takes work to dig a hole in the ground. And it takes work to select a seed and put it in there and then cover it up and then water it and weed it and take care of the thing for three months until you get a crop so you can have a watermelon. Unless you're the kind that loves to steal your neighbors. That seems to be one of the things you do as kids in small towns, small agrarian towns. (laughs) To write a passage. What do you say? Yeah, you can't graduate from high school unless you've stolen at least one or two watermelons. Wouldn't be right. You can't go to the Supreme Court like that now. That's the truth. You can't. (laughs) So, there is a harvest we're after, and it's called blameless. So, I'm just going to flat cut to the chase, and uh, let's, let's go look at the Apostle Paul. Why not? He is our guy. Go to Acts chapter 7. Hallelujah. Now, here he is, says Saul of Tarsus. All right? This is the guy who wrote Ephesians. <laughs> but right now, he is wasting the church. He is in his religious mode, and he is burning up the territory. Acts 7, verse uh, 57 Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, Stephen is preaching, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city, stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. In other words, Saul is orchestrating this. Verse 59, they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge him with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. 8.1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. He is single-handedly responsible for depopulating the church at Jerusalem and forcing them to scatter all over the world. And I want you to notice over in chapter 9, verse 
First couple of verses, what he's still doing. 9-1, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. How many people did he kill? We don't know. But it was certainly more than Stephen. And asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, and that's the way of the Lord, that goes back to Genesis 19, uh, 18, the way of the Lord, uh, 18:19 rather, Genesis 18, 19, the way of the Lord consists of walk in righteousness so you can do judgment. Two things. Whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And you and I know the rest of that story. God knocked him to the ground and rebuked him for his uh, murder, his threats, all the stuff that he's doing against the church. All right? Now, if if... You want to go to the next progression, we go to Galatians chapter 1, and in Galatians 1 we find out why he is doing this, because he recounts it in Galatians 1. So in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, now now we're reading the testimony of a serial murderer, so let's understand that. Galatians 1, 11, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Now, what does beyond measure and tried to destroy it mean to you, if you're Stephen? This guy wants to kill you. And he's going to take every opportunity to kill you. That's who he is. He's a serial murderer. Period. And why is he a serial murderer? It is a way to get promoted. Now I wonder if we're going to see that again. Verse 14, I advanced in Judaism. How do you advance in communism? Killing Christians. I was in Vietnam. I saw what happened whenever Tip O'Neill and his political party cut off all the money to the South Vietnamese army. We, we had won that war. They, they wouldn't let us finish it. And then they cut off all the money. So the advances that we had made, they cut off all funds to South Vietnam. South Vietnam fell. Laos, Cambodia, boom, a string of them. Do you know how many people died over the next five years? Six million people were killed because demonized Democrats. Sorry, I don't know what else to call them. And now I am stunned to see communism advancing in our nation. 
How do you advance in communism? Well, in Southeast Asia, they started by killing Christians, pastors, leaders. That's who they started with. Their number one enemy. The number one enemy of communism is the church. Now, the way I read Revelation 11, 6, they can't kill you until you're finished with your witness. They can try to kill you, but they can't. My, my first six months in seminary, they had this program called the Elisha Program. Three months you did baptism. Three months you, you preached at the rescue center. And uh, three, uh, three, three months you did a new Christian's class. And in three months you went out witnessing with our resident Baptist evangelist on the streets of L.A. or Orange County. First time I went to L.A. and we're just witnessing the you know, street people, this guy tries to put a cigarette out in my face. And he, he gets about this far away. And it's like there's an invisible shield, and he couldn't. Now, I was still a little bit military, and so I was just, come on, God. (laughs) I'm recalling the three different ways to kill somebody in half a second. (laughs) Go for their Adam's apple. Can't breathe. Take the heel of your hands. Push their nose bone back into their brain. Just like that. I mean, just... See, you you practice that stuff in Vietnam just in case you get shot down. Those things come back to you every once in a while. And you say, couldn't I just take a shot? God, couldn't I see if I could still do that? I just... (laughs) Oh, I wanted to hit that guy so bad I could taste it. Well, shoot, I'd only been in seminary a month. You know, I'm down on the streets of L.A., I'm an ex-Navy pilot from Vietnam thinking, listen, this guy needs napalm. That would help him. <laughs> That'd be a great conversion on the way to eternity. Ah! How's your sin feel now, buddy? You like that? Church, we're going to face some of this stuff. The question is, how do you want to face it? You want to face it on their terms? You want to face it on God's terms? When you decide to face it on God's terms, nobody takes your life till you finish your race. Nobody. You're talking like a guy who's died twice. Yeah, I feel like one. I am talking like one. You better believe it. I'm talking like like one. I've been in eternity. I've seen Jesus face to face. Shoot, I know a little bit about what it's like on the other side. And as wonderful it is, as it is... I don't want to go there not having finished my assignment. And to participate in this, had I known, I would have volunteered to come back for this assignment. I don't see a greater anointing anywhere in the Bible than Revelation 11 and those five verses in there. Starting three, right on through. 
What we're reading right here is the pinnacle, the pinnacle that this book offers. And it is the fine, if you trace, if you go through and trace judgment, the Father commits all judgment to the Son. Number one. And then a few chapters later, seven to be precise, seven chapters later, the Son commits all judgment to the Word. The Word that I have spoken will judge you in the last days. That's number two. Number three, Jesus takes judgment to victory. He forever, Isaiah 53, he forever connects the word with judgment at the throne room and guarantees us access. 53 verse 8. Isaiah 53, 8. Forever. Matthew 12, 18, 19, 20, and 21. Boom! Right there it is. Now that's number three in the progression. Just following judgment through scripture. Follow judgment. Five is the number of mercy. So there are five past the torch of judgment in your Bible and mine. There's five of them. Number four is Romans chapter 12. Do not avenge yourself, but rather did owe me tapas. Ha! Look at that in Greek. It is an imperative. It's, it's a command. It's not an option. God says, look, you can't take vengeance yourself, but here's what you do. Present to me the path for wrath to take that gives you justice. Present it to me. It's mine. I got it. I've covered you. I will, I command you to do it. Don't back off. I command you to do it. That's the number four. And number five, right here. Revelation 11, 6. I give power to my witnesses. What kind of power? I'm turning judgment over to you. It's the fifth and final pass the torch in judgment in Scripture. It's number five. And God says, I give it to you. Because you're in the middle of it, because you're going to have to walk in it. Here it is. It's blood-bought, but now it's yours. Now it's in your hands as often as you desire. What are you going to do? Say, sorry, God. Can you give that to somebody else? I don't think so. I was made for a season like this. I want to walk in that. I want to see it because I know I'm not qualified. I know I have to trust in the Holy Spirit. It's the only way you can do this. You have to train yourself to yield to the Spirit so you can qualify to walk in this. I want to tell you what, I've reached a point where it motivates me. Now, I may not live that long. I don't know how, maybe a decade, maybe two, I don't know how long it's going to take. 
I've got a feeling. I got a little bit of a feel for a timeline, but that's just it. It's a little bit of a feel. And if all that, if that's all you've got, how do you tell? You can't tell. I don't know. I may not live that long. But if I don't, I want to plant this desire for the church to walk in it. Because there's nothing like this. You tell me. Who, if somebody can't kill you and you can shut off their income, what is the probability that you can persuade them that if they want to live, they need to change? It rises big time. <laughs> That's a big wrench. That's a big torque to put on somebody's jaw. Okay, you, you want to reject the Jesus that I know and love? How about this? How about your income goes to zero next month and the month after that? Try eating when you can't afford to buy food. Is that really where you want to go? Because that's the authority God gave me. All I have to do is ask Him, and you're done. As often as they did shut heaven. As often as they desire. Shut heaven means shut off the financial flow. To evil and wickedness. That makes you ask this question. God, was the price Jesus paid so great that you have determined whatever it takes you're going to do to people to try to Get them to turn so they avoid hell. There's something motivating you to do this. Because this is beyond our thinking. Beyond our feeling of ability. Why are you going this direction? This is the maximum pressure brought to bear to get people to change. It's got to be somewhere in the cost of the cross. And you're not willing for any to perish who are called. And so we get to walk in this. Man. Ah, I'm, forget trying to figure this out. I'm not sure you can. But you, t- you know the story of this guy. I advanced. That's what he says right here. Verse 14. In Judaism, beyond all my contemporaries... Many of my contemporaries in my own nation being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of the Father. I was willing to kill for it. And that's how I got ahead. Well, how long did God put up with that? And when he met Jesus face to face, what happened to him? Blind. How long is that? As many... Plagues as often as you desire. Does that include blindness? Sure does. Oh, yeah. That's in there. I'm kind of partial to just taking their mind. Now, having experienced that, it's a great affliction. Because looking at people who, who don't know what their name is, Suddenly can't figure out how they got here. I can have some fun with that. 
because I've been there. I know what that feels like. God did that to me. And boy, I'll tell you. And as soon as I heard that, that door closed, I got my, to the FAA office. I got my, I was trying to get my PhD in aviation. God called me to the ministry and he wouldn't have any of it. Zero. You ready to obey now? I responded in the way I had been trained. <laughs> I popped him a left-handed salute. <laughs> you guys in the military know what a left-handed salute means. That's a reluctant yes. <laughs> uh, guys, I don't. What, what do you do with this stuff? I'm trying to figure it out myself. But I'm just, I'm coming to the grips with the fact, oh, we're responsible to grow you up in this. You know, it's really nice to think uh, a dream about the rapture, but that's the biggest con job going right now. And I mean, I'm sorry if that hurts a little bit. Wouldn't you rather have somebody tell you the truth right now than march on in that and all of a sudden find out, oh my God, I wish I'd prepared for this. It is mercy to find out what's coming and to prepare right now. That is covenant mercy. In action. Oh, man. Now here's the kicker. As bad as this guy was, and he was one bad dude. Murder, mayhem, prison. Shoot. Would you please go to Second Timothy chapter 1. This is his last book. This was it. He wrote this one and checked out. This is at the end of his ministry. All right. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 3. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. This is your serial murderer. This is his testimony. I thank God whom I serve with a... What does your Bible say? Really? How would you get all that blood off your conscience? As my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers. Now, how does... How does uh, religion respond to uh, a pure conscience? You know, we find out. We we find out in Acts 23. So, go go over to Acts 23. This is religion. How do you know it's religion? Because this is Paul in front of the high priest and the Sanhedrin. This is Paul in front of the Sanhedrin, and he's going to pull the same thing. He's going to say the same thing. And I want you to notice how religion responds. That's important. All right. Acts 23, verse 1. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, the Sanhedrin, said, Men and brethren, I've lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by, Strike him on the mouth. Lying sack of... <laughs> Religion can't accept that. It can't. Why? 
because it is law bound. It is bound by the law. I wonder if part of our guilt, shame, and blame is that we are bound by the law. If, if that's part of the issue, then the only way out of this is the freedom of the Holy Spirit. That and sowing blameless seed until we get a harvest and then all these other sonship gifts. I mean, because six of the nine are aimed at this stuff. Of nine sonship gifts, six of these are aimed at cleaning up the soil of our heart so we can germinate the strongest promises in this book. And I think I just read it, Revelation 11:6, as often as you desire. Shut heaven, all plagues, as often as you desire. Man, I'll tell you, the pinnacle of the judicial. And number five, the fifth and final time it is passed in Scripture, it's passed to us, church. Golly, what does that do to you? I mean, that almost makes you want to stagger. Because in the end, God says, I've got a people I can trust with judgment, and I'm going to prove it to the world because I'm going to put it in their hands. Here you are. All of my olive tree, Gentile Christians, Jewish Christians, my two olive trees, my two lampstands. What is a lampstand? The church is a lampstand, Revelation chapter 1. The mystery of the lampstand, my churches are my lampstand. Hello, lampstand. Hello, city of refuge, lampstand. God has set you on a path for decades to grow into this. And if there's one church in America that I've walked this with, it's this one. 30 years. Just this last week, God let me say, every book, every series, what's it ain't? Helping people rise above persecution. God. There's a series back there called Making Mighty Men. Oh, gee. Paul, God told me, that's what about three years ago. The Holy Spirit said, go to Second Timothy chapter 3. In the last time, perilous times will come. Men will be. You know that passage. Just as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so will these demonized people withstand you. But there's a parallel. And God began to say, do you see what I'm saying? Paul's prophesying to the church that the same demonic level that Moses, supernatural, that would create plagues. That Moses faced, you can face in the last days. And, secondly, in the same way Moses overcame, and the folly of Janus and Jambres was manifested to all, so it will be with you. How did Moses manifest their folly? 
He did it in plague three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Number one, they could no longer hang with Moses in the plagues. Number two, he started passing the honor of stopping the plague to Pharaoh. Number three, it happened in Egypt, but it never happened in Goshen. Now, God said, I want you to teach that to the church because they're going to need it. Paul's prophesying that just like it was with Moses, it's going to be with you in the days ahead. Ha! Revelation eleven six, exactly what it says. It doesn't mention Moses, but it mentions everything he did. You turn water to blood. That's Moses. And you are going to stand in his shoes and walk in the same anointing he did. How did Paul convert his conscience? That's really the question we're looking at. First Corinthians. Let's go look. There's got to be a way. How did he do it? Holy cow. We, we know he did it. First Corinthians chapter 4. Oh, my gosh. First Corinthians 4. Hey, yeah, yeah. Look at this. First Corinthians 4, verse 1. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. Verse 4. I know nothing against myself. Really. How could Paul make that statement? And you all know the answer. The blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. Cleanses our conscience to serve. Oh, wait a minute. Are you going to tell me you're going to find Amamas somewhere in a passage in a verse like that which would tell us that blamelessness is the key to cleansing your conscience. That's exactly what I'm going to tell you, and it's right in the middle. It's only mentioned seven times in the New Testament. But I'll tell you, these seven seeds are enough to do exactly what it did for Paul. I know nothing against myself. If you can't say that right now, you need to garden your own spirit. We're going to give you seven seeds to sow tonight in your garden. And you sow them, speak them. There's a pastor who's doing this out in Cross Plains. His wife put all nine of these on the mirror in the the, uh, second bathroom. So when I go over there and, and stay with him, I get up in the morning and I'm dodging. I am chosen. I am holy. I am blameless. I mean, it's been there since the first time I brought it to that church. She wrote it on the mirror in lipstick. <laughs> now, there's nothing like looking at a bunch of lipstick. 
<laughs> gold glitter. Who wears gold glitter? That's what it's written. That's probably why she used that. It was too gaudy to wear. It's unbelievable. So now it's shouting out the nine signs of gifts. And man, I have to go in between to shave. I've got to dodge the unbelievable. But you know what's effective? Because it's right there in front of your face. Every time you walk in the bathroom, look in the mirror. It's right there in front of your face. I am, I am, I am, I am nine times. This is what God says I am, and I'm going to walk in it. Church, whatever it takes. I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. He who judges me is the Lord. All right, let's start. Number one is Ephesians 1, verse 4. We looked at it. And number two, we don't have to go far in Ephesians, but I want to make sure I I, uh, cover all these and give these to you tonight. All right, so... Here's Ephesians 1 and verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. And 3. Without blame. There it is. Blameless. All right. That's the first place Amomas appears in the New Testament. Now go over to Ephesians chapter 5. Now this is stunning. Do you remember... The, and, and we talked about this. Actually, we talked about it this morning in Sunday school. The anointing in the last days to persuade men terror, the fear of the Lord. I will yet one more time shake heaven and earth. And I mean, we spent a Sunday school session talking about what does that look like? What is that going to feel like? And I mean, it, it makes you stop and think, which it should. Are we ready for that? Probably not. We may think we are, but probably not. All right. So what we want to do is get ready. Oh man. Now look at the, what do you suppose God would, would, uh, dictate that you and I sow into each other in order to birth the terror of the Lord. Wouldn't it be stunning if it was blameless? If he said, I want you to start treating each other blameless, even though you know you're not blameless. I want you to do in the body what I have done for you. I'm going to read it to you. It's right here. It's the assignment the Lord gives the men so the women can birth the terror of the Lord. Check that out. I'm not sure I'd trust you with the terror of the Lord. Either that or I'd buy an asbestos suit. Maybe two. I enjoy teasing my friends. I hope you guys don't mind. We're used to it, right? We've been doing it for 30 years. Give me a break. I'll never forget the very first story I went back home with was the Duane Duchesne story. And my kids, said, they all said, Dad, can we go with you? We want to meet this guy. That was the kitty. Ralph. <laughs> 
<laughs> what? Oh, my friend, listen, you're a legend in my house. There is no doubt about it. <laughs> uh, shoot. All right. Look at it. Watch how this unfolds. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and amomus, without blame. There it is. All right. Treat, men, treat women blameless. Now, everybody knows they are everything but blameless. I didn't hiccup when I said that either. But that's not the issue. The issue is, will we do for other people what Christ has done for us? He treats us blameless. Now, He's asking us to treat each other blameless when we know we're not. But the key is, will we do it? Now, what do we get for it? All right, God, if if you're going to tell us to do this... How does it work out? What comes out of it? 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives, their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, nourishes, cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this reason, man should leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. The two should become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Prophetic marriages. In the last days. Somehow I remember that you guys got a word like that. And and then entered into it. This is a great mystery I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she. Phobeo. That's the big boy word for terror. Phobeo. <laughs> when you and I so here's a picture. When you and I sow and treat each other blameless, and we sow that seed in the body, the body that we sow that seed into can birth and bring forth the terror. Of the Lord. Only God would pull off something like this. Only God. But that's exactly what He's done. What does a prophetic marriage look like? It looks like a couple that treat each other blameless because they know they can birth the terror of the Lord. And they're after it. Because it's the anointing that brings salvations in the last days. It's the only thing that will cut through the darkness. Hey, hey, hey. Whoo! 
There's the first two. The third one, Colossians chapter 1. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Pick it up in verse 19. For it pleases the Father that in Him all fullness should dwell. And by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. By Him, whether things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He is reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable in His sight. There's number three, M-O-M-O-S, verse 22. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable in his sight. Colossians 1.22. Number four, Hebrews chapter 9. Uh-oh. Hebrews 9. Here it is. This is the one we've been talking about. Hebrews chapter 9, pick it up in verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh... How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without M-O-M-O-S to God, purge your what? Purge your what? Conscience. Purge your conscience from what? Dead works. Killing people. You're a serial murderer, and you can say, I have lived before God in all good conscience until this day. I know nothing against myself. Really, really, really. That's the power of this Scripture. And if you're warring against the accuser of the brethren, I'm telling you, this Scripture, garden it, get it in here. Sow it right here. Commit it to memory and quote it in the morning. Quote it at night. Speak it. Call it forth. Declare it. Decree it. It's who you are. It's what you have. It's what belongs to you. Your conscience is cleansed, is purged from dead works to serve the living God. I know nothing against myself. I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. That is your testimony. Now, you can't sell it to religious people. Strike him on the mouth. And I love how committed Paul was to turn the other cheek. God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Napalm. That's a warrior at heart. All right, that's number four. Number five, First Peter chapter one, MMS. What are we doing? We we are identifying all seven appearances in Scripture. 
First Peter 1, pick it up in verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself through the time of your sojourning here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, amomas, without blemish. Circle it, verse 19, and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, sow blamelessness into each other's lives. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. This is an incorruptible seed. When you sow incorruptible seed, you get an incorruptible harvest. And it lives and abides forever. The only way I know to get the confidence that Paul walked in, this is what he did. These sonship gifts became a part of who he was. I know nothing against myself. Golly. What is God asking us to do? Treat your wife blameless. Treat other people blameless. So blamelessness so you can birth Terror of the Lord. Whoa. To number five, Jude verse 24 is number six. Jude. Jude. That little one chapter, that's it. That one and a half pager. Jude verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you amomas before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. God is able to present you blameless. Christ said, I have a goal. I'm going to present you before my Father, and I'm going to present you blameless. Hello. All right, what do you suppose would be number seven? Well, I wonder what is one of the leading, maybe chief, maybe biggest. I don't want to speculate here, but I wonder what sin grips people the most or what one sin is the hardest for a person to forgive himself over. I wonder what sin so stains the spirit 
Every other sin is outside the body. But he who commits sexual sin sins against his own body. Wouldn't it be stunning if number seven, God says to everybody, I'm going to present you blameless regardless of your sexual history. That would be amazing. It's in Genesis 14. <laughs> oh, oh my God does stuff like this. But you know what? I think he knew what it would take. He knew our condition. He knew what it would take for us to be able to germinate as as many plagues as often as they desire. He knew what it would take for you and I to get to the place where we could germinate that seed. We're going to have to deal with such sexual transgression. Revelation 14, verse 1. And I looked, behold, the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and him with a hundred and forty-four thousand, having his Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. And they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, and they are am o moss without blame before the throne of God. Without blame. Now the same ammo moss that's used here of the hundred forty now now which olive tree are these guys? They're not our olive tree. We're Gentile believers. They are Jewish believers. They're their own olive tree. But the same ammo moss that's declared over you and I in Hebrews is declared over them. There's no difference between us and them. The same Jesus that's going to present you and I Ammo Moss presents them Ammo Moss. Now, to me, that is pointed at the issue of sexual sin. There is no reason to... to I, everybody say this, I know nothing against myself. I know nothing against myself. I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Hallelujah for the blood. Glory to God for the blood. 
thank you, God, for the blood. Ammo moss. It's incorruptible seed. Here's how I sow it. Lord, it is written, Christ is going to present me blameless before you. Therefore, I am ammo moss. I know nothing against myself. I have lived in all good conscience before you until this day. That's my testimony because of the blood. I'm going to say it in the morning. I'm going to say it at night. I'm going to say it every time I think about it. Every time any thought of trying to bring guilt, shame, or blame comes at me, I am going to declare, am omas. I've lived in all good conscience before God until this day. I know nothing against myself. And I'm going to sow it until it becomes real, until it's time to put the sickle in. Father, I pray for this congregation, every person within the sound of my voice, that in the name of Jesus, we would walk in Amomas. And more than that, Lord, we would understand that as we sow it, we get to birth the fear of the Lord, the terror of God for the last days. So, Lord, I thank you right now in Jesus' name. Let this seed produce the harvest that you ordain. A people who live in all good conscience before you every day. A people who know nothing against themselves. A people who all things are possible because they choose to believe your word. Lord, bless this house and bless this people in the name of Jesus with a clear conscience. Lord, we thank you for it, we receive it, and we say thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. And all God's people agreed by saying, Amen. Amen. Seven tomorrow night, I want you to find three people before you leave here and say, I know nothing against myself, and I don't know anything against you. Amen. Love you.